Hello and welcome to the Interior Design Business, the monthly podcast produced by the Interior Design Community for the Interior Design Community. My name is Jeff Hayward and with my co-presenter, Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tasuta Interiors, and our special guest, Brian Wolfe of London interior design firm, Designed by Wolfe. Today, we're going to explore the subtle art of emotional design and find out how you can truly delight your clients. In his 2003 book, Emotional Design, the well-known American academic, Don Norman, came up with a theory to capture how and why people react and emotionally connect to certain objects and visual experiences. He postulated that these reactions to objects could be divided into three types, namely visceral, which is your gut reaction to something and the way it makes you feel, behavioral, which is how you feel when you use that object, and reflective, which is what you feel once the experience is over. His theory was that true delight and enduring pleasure is in something can only be achieved if all three of these reactions were positive ones. And while it's easy to see how this relates to the design of a product, can it apply just as much to the design of interior spaces? Is Don Norman's approach just marketing spin or are there real benefits to be had here? And if so, how can designers ensure their clients respond positively to their designs on all levels? Welcome to the Interior Design Business. Before we go deep into our emotional design journey, let's first meet our guest for this episode, Brian Wolf. Brian, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. So, Brian, would you be so kind as to give us a short introduction to yourself and Designed by Wolf? Absolutely. Um, my name is Brian Wolf. I'm an Irish designer based here in London. Um, worked internationally um, throughout Asia, uh, the States, throughout Europe. Um, working predominantly now in London and in Ireland. Uh, focused on private residential projects for end-user clients. Very good. Excellent. Now, emotional design. Susie, what precisely are we talking about here? Okay, so probably the easiest way to explain it is to is to relate it back to an object that most people will be familiar with. But if you can imagine for a moment what it's like to pick up for the very first time an iPhone, you'll respond to an object like that on those three levels that we discussed in the introduction. So visceral, your, your gut reaction. So when you look at that thing for the first time, you'll see that it's beautifully designed. You're probably fairly predisposed to that object anyway because you've seen it advertised, you've heard other people talk about it, and you're aware of its presence in the marketplace. And then you, you pick it up and you look at it and you think, yes, it's beautifully designed, it's smooth, it's shiny, it feels nice in my hand. Then behavioural is the second thing. So that's the first positive reaction. Then the second positive reaction that you'll get is when you actually start to use it because you realise it's intuitive and it's, it's, it's a pleasure to use and it connects with other people really easily and it's very, um, it's very straightforward, it's very portable, it's light, it's, you know, it's, it's a joy. And then the third thing, the third reaction that you want to try and get from your clients is this idea of a reflective reaction, which is when you put, put the iPhone down and you say to yourself, gee, I really enjoyed that, I want to do it again. And so I think that's what we're really trying to get at when we talk about applying those principles back to the design of interiors. Brian, do you want to comment on that too? Um, yeah, no, I think even an, an example I've used in the past with clients is white fluffy towels. You know, that first reaction, you walk into a hotel or a spa and you see that lush, deep piled white towel sitting on the rack and you, it, it brings back memories of previous sort of cozy experiences or, or, or luxury hotels you've been to. And then it's the 
the reaction you have when you go to touch it and you you use it and you're cocooned in the towel after a bath and afterwards the memory it leaves with you when you're leaving that hotel or spa or or guest house that you've stayed in it, it sort of remains with you and it it brings with it sort of a memories to your, your next experience in, a, in, a next, in the next location or at home when you see a, uh, another town that carries over and it, it impacts on your first experience, the, sort of the visceral experience of the next um, journey you go on. So we're going to talk about how emotional design translates into an interior from a product. So Susie, what sort of things will influence a client's first impression of a design? Well, the client's first impression of a design is going to be initially what you show them in those first meetings. So it comes back to that same old, same old thing we come back to so often in, in these podcasts. It's about how you've taken the brief. So if you've drilled down into that client's wants and needs and explored their background, you'll be able to come up with things that you will have built into that design that, that cause them to have a really nice, warm, fuzzy feeling when they first see what you're presenting. And, and Brian, is that is that true, do you think? The better you are at sort of interviewing somebody and, and taking that initial brief when it comes to presenting ideas and concepts and, and a design scheme to clients, if you're relaying back the elements that sort of turn them on or, or that they go warm and fuzzy for um, in those early presentations, you are going to get the, the positive initial first reactions from them. And I think that's vital. And um, what part do their preconceptions play in all of this? Well, again, I think um, it's to do with it might be something in that brief taking process, you know, they might reveal that they would uh, admire a particular designer or they might talk about something that their friend has. or So anything that you build in that's like that, that makes them already have positive feelings before you've even shown them what you're going to show them. But I was also going to say that there are two halves to this, of course, because there's the, the pre, there's the first impression that they get when you show them that first proposal. But then there's also the first impression that they get every time they come on site and see the beginnings of the actual reality of the design um, unfold before them. So you know, each time they come on site should also be a positive thing if you can if you can engineer it. Not always possible on a building site, but you know, some, I suppose it's choosing your moments for the big reveal or a series of reveals throughout the life of, of the install. So what uh, what tricks and examples have you got of how that works in practice, Brian? Yes, so I, I think there's potentially two good examples. So one client who was very focused on creating a home and had a, a very happy childhood and fond memories of, you know, uh, family lunches and family dinners and helping their parents sort of cook in, in the family home and wanted to have that same experience with their younger family. So so I think budgets define what you can and can't do with public and private spaces. Uh, I think there are humor is a great way of of helping to divide what's more personal and what is there maybe for the swag or the show. Um, people will often host dinner parties or have colleagues around for dinner. They know them on a professional basis and maybe they start to creep in and, and become closer as time goes by, but they don't necessarily want the, the family photographs of them bouncing around in uh, inflatable Lidos, uh, drinking uh, martinis on a hot sun summer's day on their holidays on the bookshelves in the formal dining room. So it, it, it's working out, I think, going back to understanding how they're planning to use the space and, and then applying if there is humor there to be used, the humor in the more private family spaces, you know, their, their secondary living rooms or the bedrooms or you know, perhaps not putting that in the guest bedroom, but having those kind of photographs or memories in their master bedroom, which is, you know, to be used by them. 
Can you tell us a bit more about how you actually bring the art of storytelling and embed it in your projects? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'll, I'll use a, an example. One of the projects we handed over um, in late 2020, we were working with a Californian couple. Um, they met when they were at uh, university. Um, they moved to the UK. Um, she has uh, an Indian background and they have two delightful boys, twins. Um, we spend a lot of time getting to know each other. Drinks, dinners, um, I spent a lot of time with the boys. Um, it allowed me to, to to get a glimpse of what they're like in their private life. Um, I, I'd like to think they became close friends during that time. Um, and we see each other quite regularly. Obviously not now because of COVID, um, but we will uh, again afterwards and after the world returns to some sort of normality. Um, picking up on the, the stories that they had from from their journey together, her background, her, her parents' background, his background, what they wanted for the kids, um, allowed me to pick up on, on little details that we applied to the design scheme. So for example, um, her cultural background being from India, we applied or used heat-applied metallic beads to the lead, heads of our, lead edge of our curtains um, to, to bring in the sort of intricacies and the details of Indian uh, metalwork uh, and beadwork and uh, embroidery. We had uh, embroidery panels created in India shipped to the UK and our upholsterers used them on uh, the soft furnishings and uh, cushions and um, backs of chairs and sofas that we were creating for them here. Um, another example, um, some art that we had created, we had some peacock uh, feathers that we had dyed in various colors or shades of blues and greens and created a beautiful uh, paneled art piece as an installation in one of the living rooms. Again, there were just all the little subtle details that brought them joy and they understood where they all came from and what they meant to them and how they tied into their life. But we weren't going for a, a very bold Indian inspired uh, scheme in, in the house. Yeah, more, a, more less of a slap in the face and more of a sort of subtle reference. Yeah. And I suppose then people would ask about those lovely objects and it would give the clients then an opportunity to tell their stories to the people that came into their homes. Exactly. And I've had, I've had the pleasure of seeing them welcome people into the house on, uh, on multiple occasions and watch the clients retell the story and talk about where it came from and, you know, where, who we visited, what craftsperson or artisan did we visit to see these uh, 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 materials or, or design elements before they were specified. Um, and and they have a lot of passion for telling the story uh, because it's important to them. And this sort of storytelling, that can equally work in commercial interiors as well, can't it, Susie? I, I really think it can. And I, I know that this is, the, this is the main thing that seems to drive hotel projects in recent years is the fact that, that people embed this sense of place. You know, they want to, they want to actually get, because in, in those instances, of course, the client that you're targeting is not necessarily the person who's paying for the project, it's, it's the guest. So it's all about the guest experience and it's all about, you know, making sure that the guest feels as though there's somewhere really interesting and exciting that's part of that community so that they go home and they, they really, they, again, taking that reflective experience home with them, they really feel that for those few precious days, they were really part of the life of Barcelona or the past, the, you know, the life of Dubai or wherever, you know, whatever other, Antwerp, whatever other city they found themselves in. So, yeah, I, I absolutely definitely think that, that the same the same theory can be applied to commercial interiors. And I think it's really important that that storytelling exists in commercial sphere and, and in uh, sector of, of our of our industry. 
if clients and residential clients in particular can experience storytelling done well in commercial spaces, whether it's restaurants and bars, hotels, spas, uh, retreats that they will go to, it allows them to believe and understand the importance of it and, and start to apply it or when a design when they start to work with a designer or decide actually no we can benefit from working with a designer then they'll fully understand the power of storytelling and um, so if you have a well-traveled client that has stayed in wonderful boutique hotels and and rest and dine fine restaurants and bars around the world their ability to understand the power of a cohesive um scheme that's well with a story that's well told and represents the brand you'll get for you'll your your ability to deliver um an exciting project to them that satisfies them on visceral behavioral and reflective um elements that we're talking about i think will be a, a lot more likely so susie um you've successfully elicited a positive first or visceral reaction from the client Talk to me about the behavioural reaction. Uh, what's, what's that in more detail? So that basically is the building in use. That's all those little things that mean that the, the drawers don't slam and the tap is nice to use and the doors have a good weight and the handles all work and you don't catch your fingers on anything and that things look right and they're easy to move around. You know, that, that comes down to your nuts and bolts. That's your space planning and your ergonomics and... Um, all the things that you specify that go into that interior that actually makes it work so that the whole thing becomes effortless and it's you know it, you, the, the client is getting behavioral reinforcement so they've had they've they've had their emotional hit from the visceral and now they're getting that constant ongoing pleasure from using what you've produced for them yeah I, I think I think it's important for a client to just be able to instinctively use a space without thinking oh this has been designed it should just happen and more important, guests coming to the house should have that exact same reaction as well. It's, you know, often when I sit back and I'll watch people into a client's house for a dinner party or, or drinks and people just know where the wine glasses are or they know instinctively where the ice machine or the fridge is or where the spoons for the coffee are because they're laid out in a logical location in relation to what else is in the room. So if you have a, a, a tall, you know, display wine fridge, you expect your wine glasses to be somewhere close to that wine fridge. And it's sort of, it's your, it's your gut reaction is saying, well, open this cabinet and you find your, your beautiful crystalware. All of those things mean your, it's positively reinforcing um, the design without drawing your attention to the design. And I suppose other things too, just like traffic flow, thinking about it, you know, making sure that children aren't under your feet when you're in the kitchen. You know, it's just all about making sure that the place works, really. I guess the systems in the building must play a key role in this behavioural response. Oh, absolutely. Because going back to the, the fact that it's got to be a pleasure to, to use and to be in that space, things like your lighting and your um, heating, ventilation, cooling, and, and, and are really key to this. And also just in terms of feeling safe in a space, I think that also extends as far as people's security systems as well. And there are, there are, the, there are the kind of systems. I mean, it's like some of the tech systems that are just too complicated by half. You know, all these systems should run quietly in the background and they should be really intuitive to use. And they should be intuitive for everyone who comes to the building so that, if, you know, the grandparents arrive from the States for a holiday, for example, from, you know, Brian's 
Brian's um, family come from California to visit to visit their family in London. You know, are those people going to be able to work out how to turn the lights on and off? Yeah, no, and I, I think we're lucky to be living in a in an age where we're surrounded by programmable um, and advanced smart home technology um, that wasn't there in, in at the same level even five or ten years ago. Um, just small details can make uh, all the difference. For example pantries or, or guest WCs having PIR systems for the lights. We just open the door. You're not faffing around looking for a light or walking into a pantry, carrying a, a tray of food, trying to find the switch with your elbow. But it just it comes on and it goes off. Uh, small details like at nighttime, having a PIR sensor at low level under the bedside locker so that when you put your foot out of the bed, if you have to go to the toilet multiple times during the night, it just brings on low level lighting. It guides you to the bathroom with that lighting being on a separate light or circuit to the extractor fan so that noise isn't coming on so that you don't disturb your partner or you don't wake yourself up with the, the brighter lights and, and allows you to try and get back to sleep. So it's, it's those smart programmable or, or smart home technology systems, I think, you know, Susie, what you said, security plays a big part. So just down to even just the quality of a door, how heavy it feels, how it feels within the frame does it move when you close that front door or does it feel like oh i'm home does the glass in your windows feel like solid and robust i, I think it's about everybody wants to feel cozy and cocooned and safe in their in their home but also when they go to a, a commercial establishment whether it's a spa a hotel uh, you also want to feel safe there and cocooned there so i think it's important that they're applying the same um the same thought process to design the design specification in those areas yeah so all these things you, you're constantly reinforcing that client's positive reaction that positive behavior or reaction through their enjoyment of the use in the space and i think we touched on security earlier but i know that that's something that's becoming more and more of a concern to clients they need to feel that if their kids are on you know if the kids have been out and they've been on wi-fi in starbucks or somewhere and they've come home you know they've been on an unsecured site and they've come home that there's something that's meaning that they're not being you know, that they're cyber secure, that their work stuff is secure, you know, that their personal information is secure, that their their perimeter is secure, all these things, you know, they need to be able to, you know, come in, shut out the world and just enjoy what you've what you've provided for yeah, them. Absolutely. I think a pet hate of mine, uh, just to give you an example, going to a, a, a lovely hotel, you, you've checked in and you arrive to the room, the room is fabulous, great mattress, lovely linens, incredible bathroom, roll top baths, incredible products. And then you realize that the door isn't acoustically treated or that the frame isn't tight. And all you can hear is people walking up and down the hallway at nighttime or having conversations. And it just spoils the whole experience and how ever wonderful the rest of it, the experience and, and that sort of gut visceral experience you had when you walked in the door. It's all ruined and you will never go back again. So true. So true. Two of the key strengths of the best interior designers are empathy and attention to detail and it seems to me that what you're talking about is a is that kind of bringing together both of those talents i think that's true no i, I do i do think that's right yes okay so um uh we've kind of talked about visitors and cons considering visitors as part of this um what else what else is important in that behavioral response what else do we need to consider susie well, I think the other thing that's really key that gets often forgotten is ease of maintenance. You know, things have to be easy to look after and clean. And, you know, I don't I know we don't live in an age of light bulbs anymore. But, you know, if you have lamps that have light bulbs that need changing, they need to be easy to get at. And things can't be so precious that people 
even though they're enjoying living in the space, they're frightened to touch it. You know, it has to be it has to be relaxing and stress free. And so I think ease of maintenance is, is something that's quite is quite critical. I think knowing your audience is key. As a designer, if if you're specifying family home that has young kids who have yet to discover crayons and markers and sharpies, and you start specifying porous materials and silk wallpapers and I mean, you have just done your clients a, a great disservice, uh, and you should you shouldn't be designing because um, it you haven't taken into account their family dynamic or setup um, or composition rather um, in your specifications. So suitable specifications um, is I think key um, for the long term behavioral uh, reaction or, or response to be to remain positive. Because it might be positive for a short period of time, but then the minute they realize that they can't get certain finishes clean or they're, they're impossible to maintain or the kids have destroyed something that they didn't realize cost a thousand pounds a square meter, um, you will have a very different response in Google review. But even, even things as basic as upholstery fabrics. I remember going into a, a client's home once where another designer had specified some completely unsuitable silk lampas for um dining chairs with a rub test of i don't know five i've got no idea but anyway this stuff had just shredded to pieces and we're standing here looking yeah. at these chairs and the client's going i don't i can't sit on them what do i do you know, i'm really sorry and in the end what we were able to do is we were able to reupholster the seats and the arms but leave the backs so at least we you know we we found a solution but you know the, the interior designer was just not thinking when he or she specified that material for that role because it was totally not fit for purpose. Well, many things can be functional but dull. So what is it that elevates the value of a thing beyond its immediate function? Brian, do you want to take that first? Yeah, I, I think the story behind it. So I, I really believe that, you know, we have form and function, but we, we there's feeling form and function. And feeling was there before, it should be there during, and it, it should certainly be there long after. Um, with any material or product that's specified, that's visible to the eye or, or impacts on how you use the space, there needs to be a positive feeling for that material or product or specification. And it can't just be with us. During our design process, we need to give that feeling to the clients and give them reasons as to why they have used or specified this product. How does it relate to them or their requirements so that they own that feeling as well? It's, it's great us knowing all the benefits of something, but if we don't give the clients that information and pass the information on, they don't know why it's there. There's no positive um, feeling towards the material. Um, same client, uh, Notting Hill. Um, one of the things we latched on to very early on was marble. She had a real passion for marble and bold marble, pattern, texture. So we went on a journey. We, had, we, we went to stone um, yards. We selected the marble. We had them pulled out slab by slab. Uh, with the crane, she she loved it. She'd never been to a stone yard before. We had no idea what we were using the marble for. We bought all the slabs that we wanted that particular day, and then we came up with how we were going to use them. We had we had no use for them other than that. I like that one. I like that one. I like that one. Find somewhere to use them, um, and I think that's important in in a story behind all of the materials and uh, the specifications. Yeah, no, uh, I think too, for, for me, it's it's maybe it's a slightly different slant on it. I think what makes things really special and elevates them beyond the merely functional is 
if they're tactile. So I was thinking, you made me you made me remember something, Brian, a project we did again in, in Notting Hill years ago with a wonderful staircase that came down through a, a house and, and wonderful old mahogany handrails, which were horribly battered and had been varnished and dreadful things had been done to them over 100 years. And we had them all stripped back and re-French polished. And the client made a point of phoning me up and saying, every time I walk down my stairs and I run my hand down that handrail, I go, ooh. Oh, yeah. And, it, you know, that to me is just, you know, it's that it's that reinforce. That's what we mean when we say that kind of behavioral behavioral reinforcement, that that um, that pleasure in using something. OK, so the final part of the puzzle then is the reflective response. Susie, what do we mean by this? So the reflective response we, we mentioned it earlier is is when the client has finished using you, they've they've gone off to work for the day or they've you know gone away on holiday and they've they've locked their door and they've gone away and they're somewhere else and they're thinking about what it was like to have the experience of being in their own home. And that again needs to be a positive thing so that they're looking forward to coming back and repeating the experience. Can you create a memory for a great interior, Brian? Yeah, I, I think you can. I, I think it comes down to great storytelling. Um, uh, I think I think just if you can tell the right story, it's 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 not what we would necessarily always deem to be the the memory. It's it's the client's memory. So if if we're telling their story, they will have the positive memory of of that space, even long after they may have moved on or sold the property and and moved on to to other pastures. I think it's it's just important that it's something that resonates with them and has meaning. Um, and meaning can be very different things. For some people, it might be budget and turnover and, and profit. For, for others, it's a home and it's the feeling it creates. And I guess it's really important to understand what it is that ticks or, or turns over um, your, your clients. Because, you know, you can still have, uh, I think, your visceral, behavioral and reflective um, positive uh, experiences if it was a financially driven um uh, brief in the first place. Yeah, no, good point. You really want the client to take ownership of what you've designed for them, don't you, Susie? That's what we're talking about. I think, yeah, I think that's actually, it's a really succinct way of putting it, Jeff. And and what what examples have you got of a reflective response that's been a really positive one for you? The most definite way you will know if your client has responded positively in a reflective way is if they phone you up and ask you to do their next property or they recommend you to their best friend. What we're talking about, Brian, is, is good customer relations isn't it ultimately that's that's what it drills down to and that that's what you're seeking to get i, I think in, in particular in working in the residential sector of our industry it is about friendships personal relationships and um, using the phone rather than email for communications where you can i much prefer to talk somebody through something on the phone or meet with them and discuss it um, and just stay on top of communication because it needs to be a positive experience the whole way through. In the same way we talk about, you know, the the gut reaction when they arrive, then the behavioral reaction through the experience and then the reflect of the memory of it. it. It's as important that the design journey to get to that gut reaction is also as positive as it can be. It can't be 100% perfect because it is design construction and the industry work in, work in, you know, it has its has its issues. And, you know, when you're spending someone's money, that also has an impact on how they view a project during the design and construction process. But you, it is our job to make sure that that is as positive as it possibly can be so that you are not trying or you're not putting the pressure on your design scheme or 
that initial gut reaction to undo anything negative that has passed happened in the past. Because if their project is six months or nine months late, meaning that they've missed out on being in the house for the birth of their child and they've had to rent somewhere and uh, it, it's created a whole lot of emotional emotional upset for them and it, it cost them and, and, and it has hurt their pockets, You're, that initial gut reaction is never going to undo what has gone before. Top tips then for making making sure that you're getting the best emotional impact for your designs? Well, I think I think Brian's covered most of them. Actually, he's talked about humour and he's talked about storytelling, but I'd throw one into the pot here, which is, is positive surprise. I think you can do a lot with interesting things that perhaps are not immediately obvious. Just perhaps an example, painting the inside of your kitchen cupboards a really crazy bright blue so that every time, or, you know, the client's favourite colour, so that when they open a cupboard to get a cup out in the morning, it's the colour they love, immediately is going to elevate their mood. Um, just things like that. So I think I think positive surprise and, and will engender delight in all sorts of ways. Curveballs, I think you're right. It's Do the unexpected. It doesn't have to be there in your face the whole time. But something unexpected for guests when they visit, where they, you know, they, they open a cabinet or they go into a particular room or turn a corner and they something catches their eye it doesn't need to be a statement but it's those things that sort of if you if you've arrived somewhere from a, a really tough a stressful day and and something just breaks the cycle and then all of a sudden you're like oh smile on my face that made me that made me smile i, I think um and that will uh that will really augment the the emotional impact um from the design Brian, this is the part of the show where we like to ask our very special guest if they've got a story or an amusing anecdote that they'd like to tell us about. So what has been the best client reaction you have ever had to one of your designs? Um, I think it was just something we picked up on in a really small detail. One of our clients um, does something really touching every time they go on a holiday or a trip um, with their kids. Uh, He writes a letter or a postcard on the way home from every trip or while they're on the trip addressed to the the kids and he's been keeping them since they were born so he has a whole stack of letters and postcards and i think it's just a really nice some of them are short some of them are, are longer depending on what's what's happened and, and they've just been in shoe boxes um so we commissioned a beautiful um american walnut box handcrafted made here in the uk american walnut because they're american um made in the design that reflects them and, and what kind of design aesthetics they like and we have the kids names engraved on the top of the box we have a quote from him engraved on the inside of the box it has a beautiful little lock it has a note saying where the box was made what materials it was made from who it was made by what day it was made and um, when it was handed over um, and then uh, you know leather base on the bottom and again the leather resonated with something else um, uh, for the clients and and uh, a sort of a way of stacking all of the letters with wax paper uh, between them all to protect them so that they're there for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, and Future generations uh, even. Yeah, and it was it was that detail that I, I think, you know, tears in the eyes. Oh, it must have been so amazing. Yeah, no, it was. It was wonderful. Wonderful. 
Thank you, Brian, and thank you, Susie, too, for enlightening us all about the power of making an emotional connection with your clients. And thank you, Brian, so much for your fantastic contribution. It was just wonderful hearing about all your fabulous projects and the things you've done for your very lucky clients. Well, and thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honour. We'd also like to show our support for series partners, Parkside Architectural Tiles. You can find out more about Parkside at parkside.co.uk. You can listen to the interior design business on audio on-demand services everywhere. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod. This episode of the Interior Design Business is a Wildwood production.